Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Doss and D Show. We're so glad to have your company. Thank you all for continuing to support the show as we grow. Please continue to keep reaching out on social media. We're loving meeting all these new people and hearing your stories and experiences and connecting with you all. Now, today's episode is a powerful one. Today's guest is Doug Wilson, and he has one hell of a story. Doug is an author, an ultra runner, a teacher, a traveler, a brain tumor survivor, and a Guinness World Record holder. In his running, he has twice completed the Seven Continent Marathon Challenge, which is running seven marathons on seven continents in under seven days. He holds the Guinness World Record for the fastest time to complete a marathon on each continent. He's won many a marathon and is series champion in multiple events with a marathon time of 2 hours, 40 minutes and 59 seconds. His 5K time is 16 minutes 33 and his 10K is 33 minutes 49. It's pretty impressive. In the time he shared with us, Doug talked us through his upbringing and becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol. He left Melbourne to live in London and worked in the investment bank industry where the drug life took over. Doug shares how he nearly lost his life when he discovered he had a golf ball sized tumour on his brain and after completing brain surgery and multiple complications was told his life would never be the same again. As a result he suffered deafness in his right ear and half his face became paralysed. In the next 12 months his life completely changed. Doug thoroughly explains how he became well again through energy healing, kundalini yoga, medicinal marijuana and running and at the same time giving up recreational drug use, quitting his job and becoming a yoga teacher while traveling the world and doing these crazy runs. Now enough from me, here's Doug's incredible story in his own words, enjoy. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs, and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Dee, it's been a, a pretty good weekend for both of us, hasn't it? It's been very busy, mate, but today is very exciting. We've got another guest. We did an interview on Friday, but again, let's start by thanking Katie Richardson and Jai Richardson, who have brought our guest to us today. Katie's becoming quite the, uh, what would you call her? Oh, she's almost the show producer. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> she's uh, she's got, got us a couple of guests now, and we, we thank her for that. So, Katie, you're a, you're a star. Yeah, for sure. But as you would have heard in the intro, today's story is very powerful, and today, Doss and I... Not so much going to interview, we're going to more listen. Firstly, Doug, thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Beautiful, mate. As your introduction probably said, Dee, we've given a bit of a, a base background on Doug and a small understanding of his story because today we'll be hearing it for the first time ourselves. But if you're open to it, Doug, we'll just jump straight into, I guess, the, the start of the story, you know, your upbringing, where you're from and... The yep. beginning. Yeah, so I think the beginning of my story sort of started when I was in my teen years. Getting into the high school years was really where I think the interesting aspects of my story starts. Getting into drugs and alcohol from quite a young age. I was smoking weed and drinking quite heavily by the age of like 12, 13. Sort of getting into that like kind of Australian culture, like weekend drinking stuff. And I think that's where like the interesting part of my story kind of starts because it led to a lot of my life decisions that kind of led me on quite an interesting path in life. So yeah, I started drinking and smoking weed from yeah, that young age of 12, 13. And then by like that late high school years, I'd become quite ingrained in that kind of behavior. And um, that just led into me not knowing much else in life of kind of like getting through schooling weeks of Monday to Friday, this like Monday to Friday lifestyle, and then like sort of hanging for the weekends and 
sort of letting loose on the weekends and then using things like marijuana like during during the week to kind of just cope with life like you always using that stuff mm. as like my own coping mechanism so i always struggled at school and all of these sort of things always found those kind of environments quite difficult so i think like once i'd left school like that's what i kind of cultivated within myself was this way of like living just for the weekends and yeah so i didn't know much else and then had no desire to kind of go to university or anything like this wanted to get as far away from schooling as possible and that's what led to a bit of a nomadic lifestyle for me i just kind of like once i was 18 finished school i kind of just lived pretty nomadic lifestyle moved out of home as quickly as i could went and worked up at the snow in mount hotham like working up there snowboarding and, and things like that yeah so I, i'd sort of grown up that way with that kind of adventure lifestyle always looking for extreme things to do extreme sports and yep. surfing skating snowboarding all of that sort of stuff and i guess where my um story gets quite interesting is by the time I got to my early 20s I started to see like those early choices that I'd made with the drugs and alcohol and the kind of patterns of behavior that I'd cultivated started to see that they weren't going to be sustainable and that like the way that they were kind of leading me down a pretty sketchy path in my early 20s like all my friends were like either heavy drug users or selling like they were dealers but my life was kind of revolving around kind of drugs and alcohol and I didn't really see any way to to get out of it so I was always, you know, always having those conversations, you know, got to stop this, like, when's this mm. going to end? Yeah. And was on that kind of pretty bad spiral with things. And rather than having that ability or those tools to kind of stop and direct everything in, inward and sort of see what was kind of happening with myself, I decided to, like, throw all of my problems into a suitcase, quite literally, and just ship myself off to the other side of the world thinking, like, just run away from everything, basically, mm. okay. and ship myself off over to London. How, yeah. how old were you, probably? Like, 23, I think I young. was. Yeah, yeah. it was quite Very young. young. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so just thinking, like, get over to London, and that will miraculously solve <laughs> all my problems, thinking, like, that was the answer, but that's um, where things got a little bit more interesting in my life. It helped in the sense of it helped broaden my perspective on life, getting over to London and sort of breaking out of like growing up and not knowing too much else in the life I'd lived up until that point. Get to London, it's a pretty eye-opening experience going from yeah. a place like, you know, growing up in the southeastern suburbs of, of Melbourne to a place like London, it's, it's a pretty big shock and had to learn a few pretty hard lessons over in London early on. It was quite, quite difficult, but I stuck it out. I originally told myself I'd go over there for six months to kind of work and then do six months of travel. That's what I was yeah. originally attending, like the intention behind it, thinking, yeah, then I'll come back and everything will be fine. But I got over there, fell into a really good job. So I didn't have any other tertiary background other than finishing high school and then got over there, got into a job in investment banking with Deutsche Bank, oh, nice. um, working in the IT field, but getting into like enterprise IT and, and working my way up to becoming a solution architect and mm. while I was doing that all the things with the that I was trying to escape with the drugs and alcohol that I'd kind of left back here followed me and mm. got in like in the banking industry it's like rife with cocaine yeah. and all of this sort of stuff and you're working hectic hours and yeah just that kind of pattern of behavior kept going it got worse for me like I got to the point where I was living this just absolutely insane lifestyle like working you know 60 70 hour weeks traveling around the world for, for work working between London and New York I was doing all this this is where my kind of running comes into it as well okay. I was actually over there doing running at the time as well like doing all this crazy partying crazy working traveling the world and running these like really crazy uh, marathon events yep so running in places like Siberia or on the Great Wall of China. And I kind of 
did that because um, I was kind of using that as my mask, like yeah. with all the drugs and alcohol I was taking. It was like, that was my way of like, if, yeah, if I can run marathons and hold down this really good job and earn all this money and travel around the world, like I'm doing better than anybody else, right? Like, yeah. you know, like this is the life that everybody wants to lead and I'm pulling it off. And yeah. it's kind of the mentality I had, right? Yeah. Like just go hard and don't think about things too much. And yeah, and, uh, yeah and I was just, I was living that way. And like, don't get me wrong, it was awesome. Like I was having an awesome time. I was seeing the world. I was having all these great life experiences. But I was like underneath, like exhausted and just like just always getting sick and mm. just always had questions, like always questioning myself, not knowing, you know, like r what life was really about, where was it all going, always kind of being pissed off with myself when I'd like sort of use drugs and kind of get into these patterns. And I like as I got a bit older, I'd stop taking drugs for a month and try to clean myself up, go run a marathon and then like celebrate for two weeks. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and just always living through these like bouncing extremes that again, going back to like my early childhood, like mm. I'd always been bouncing through that kind of behavior, extreme ups and downs, you know, highs and lows. It sounds like you always knew that I was doing the wrong thing, but it's just, I have to it, do it. hundred percent. Like it's that internal feeling of knowing what you're doing to yourself is not right and there's something that needs to change but not having the tools to do it with because again when you go back to yeah. that young age of cultivating that behavior from like teenage years like it's so heavily ingrained by the time you're sort of getting into your mid-20s late 20s yeah. sort of things it's so ingrained it's so hard to see mm. a way out of it and this is probably like it's hard to set the story up because there's so many kind of angles to this but this is like the, the lead into i guess what's the most interesting aspect of my story which is like getting to this point where i'm living a million miles an hour and i'm probably on this path of not stopping this and the thing that ended up stopping me was um, getting diagnosed with a brain tumor mm. yeah it was just before i was i think i was like 29 when i got diagnosed okay. I'd, I'd spent about 12 to 18 months with really crazy vertigo I was getting sick all the time. I uh, felt terrible. And the way I felt, because I kept going to the doctors and seeing specialists and all these sort of things, and they're telling me, no, you're young, you, you know, it's just an inner ear infection or you've got sinus problems or something like this. So I'm sort of getting frustrated because like all the doctors are telling me I'm fine. Something's not right. And I know that something's not right. Like I'm, I'm getting out of bed in the mornings and falling out. I'm collapsing, right. you know, like getting all these crazy like vertigo issues. Yeah, the doctors are telling me fine. So I'm attacking myself saying, oh, maybe this is all the years of drug use finally catching up with me. So it was absolute torture for about 12 to 18 months trying to get this diagnosis. And at the same time, I'm still living this crazy lifestyle. Like I'm collapsing in the mornings on the floor, the room's like spinning around. I'm, I'm laying on the ground telling myself not to be weak. Yeah. And then I pick myself up and run 15Ks to work. In, in London, how often, just to get an idea, how often are you hitting the alcohol and drugs? Is this... It got pretty hectic. When I, when I left Melbourne, it was the, the, the sort of harder drugs, things like ecstasy, amphetamines and stuff mm. like that. That was, a, that was a weekend thing. Like I used weekend. To, that was when I left yeah. Melbourne, it was kind of like just a weekend thing. I'd, I never used to drink during the week. I'd save it all up, you know, because I'd be sort of recovering yeah. until Wednesday and then yeah. start feeling better again on Thursday and I'd be like, sweet, Friday, let's go and yeah. sort of go until Sunday afternoon. That was kind of what yeah. I was into, you know, into clubbing and all that. And then when I got to London, like, that carried on but the problem with London is it's it was a completely different world and in its midweek drinking yeah um, and I got to a point where I was like going out four or five nights a week wow. and and having pretty big nights like sort of starting 
you know, Wednesday, Thursday, going out with guys from work, and then on the you get to Friday, and then you're going out with your yeah. mates. So you're yeah. kind of having all the, you know, and then some some nights, you, some weeks, you're just like, oh yeah, I've been on it like every every night. Yeah. You know, not always using the drugs, but you know, going out and having at least like five five six pints. Yeah, let's go for a pint, boys, and then it turns and, to yeah, five. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then and then you know, a lot of that times, it's very easy to like, oh, you know, somebody's got a bag of cocaine or something like that. Yep. It's very easy yep. to just slip into that and. It's, just a couple of cheeky lines yeah, here or there. After five or, beers, you're in a state where you're probably yeah. Why not? Exactly, yeah. and, and and there's a whole thing about that with like the way that the cocaine interacts with alcohol in the body. It creates another chemical compound. It's very addictive, and yeah, you, I, I just very easy to get kind of lost yeah. in that. Um, yeah, so I was hitting it pretty hard. So yeah, going back to that point of feeling so unwell, like I related that to like this yeah. is just finally you know like. 10, 15 years of drug abuse finally kind of catching up with me. But deep down, I, I knew something something else was wrong. So I persisted with kind of what I was trying to deal with. Like I kept going to the doctors and literally begging. I went in one day like on the verge of tears, like begging for to be helped. And I eventually got a brain scan and MRI scheduled. Went in one Friday morning, like on the way to work, sort of with the way of thinking like, oh, you know, not wanting to really know. Right. What, yeah. what what's there and kind of thinking oh what an inconvenience on my way to work you know i've got this you know meeting and yeah. you know thinking this way like oh yeah i'll just go get this inconvenient brain scan done and then probably just you know go off to work and live my life that i know right and yeah went in for the the, the brain scan on a on a friday morning got pulled out of the mri got ex- escorted straight down to the emergency part of the hospital i was in which was a telling in itself because i'd spent you know, 12, 18 months going in and out of hospitals, you couldn't even get into the emergency yeah. wards. But the, you know, the NHS, NHS is a very different system. Um, the, 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 pub, the public health system in the UK is very different to Medicare and they're very restrictive about giving scans and putting people in, in, in specialist care. And that's why they kept saying, no, you're 29, you're fine. 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 100% what happens. They're, in, they're actually incentivized not to send people for scans because they're on such a different sort of budget with their, their things over there. So I knew already the fact that I'd been kind of walked down into the into the emergency area. Like, I was serious? Like, you know, I haven't been here in like 12, 18 months of begging and now I'm all of a sudden getting escorted down there. And I waited for a bit and sort of sitting on a chair and then eventually like some dude comes out with a you know, white coat on, it's got a bit of paper in his hand, starts reading off and he's just, just said something like, yeah, diagnosis, brain tumour sort of thing. And then he starts talking about like, oh, you, you know, you're going to need to speak to neurology. It's Friday, you know, they'll probably be busy, better off to call them on Monday. And I'm just sitting there going, what, what is going on here? I grabbed a bit of paper off him and literally left the hospital, went and packed my bags and got on a plane and back in Melbourne on Monday morning. Pretty came back to Melbourne. Straight away. I was like, I'm not like, well, I didn't even know how bad it was at that time. All I knew, like I left with the, the bit of paper and was walking back to my apartment from the hospital reading it, it's just one clear line, diagnosis, brain tumour, but didn't know how severe it was or yeah. anything. I just thought, okay, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Better get home. I didn't want to stick around it on the NHS trying to, you know, yeah. things, things would work out. So came home and this is probably where I could go like a lot of different angles of the story, but just to kind of like compress it a bit, went home. Yeah, it was quickly in seeing like specialists and meeting my neurosurgeon and wasn't until I met my neurosurgeon and sat there and he did other scans and I sat there, I was sitting there with my mum and um, he brought the picture of the brain tumour up on the screen and it was like this big, it was four and a half centimetres, so a little bit bigger than a golf ball. Wow. I've been living this crazy life, running all these marathons, working with this this massive brain tumour that they reckon was either a birth defect 
And, you know, it kind of, because it was a, a type of tumour known as an acoustic neuroma, which is a, yeah. a benign tumour that uh, originates on the auditory nerve, and it kind of, like, grows into the brain. So it's, like, potential that it w was, like, there from birth, and it was kind of, as I was growing, it was growing kind of you. growing with me, and it wasn't until it got to the point where it was pressed into my brain stem that it was causing all these, like, neurological um, and cognitive issues. Wow. Yeah, from there, like, it was, you know, to see that was pretty shocking, but it's just to give you a like an idea of kind of how my mind worked at that point in time, like the neurosurgeons rattling off all this stuff that has to happen, like, you know, got to go in for surgery and best case scenario, like here's all the things that, you know, going to have these lifelong issues and he's kind of rattling them off and I'm not really thinking about it. I'm your actually, mum's with you? My mum's there and he, the, the neurosurgeon sits back and he's like, oh, you know, you got any questions? And I, my first question back to him was, will I be okay to run a marathon at the North Pole in six months' time? <laughs> That's yeah. where I was thinking. Yeah. I wasn't thinking like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've got to you know, recover from brain surgery. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I just want to, you know, I've got this run yeah. I've been training for and it's up at the North Pole. I put all this money into it. Like, yeah, yeah I'm going to be all right for that, right? <laughs> and he just looked at me and like, mate, you'll be lucky to be alive yeah. sort of look and, yeah, it wasn't too far from the truth. So from there, um, yeah, went through getting prepped for surgery. I had to have crazy things like cerebral angiography and all of these sort of things leading up to the surgery. It was pretty intense. What are they? What's that topic? Getting like a scan of the brain to understand like the vascularity of like how the tumor's getting blood because if they're like chopping into it and it bleeds onto the brain, you can have a stroke or you can die in the surgery and all this sort of stuff. So they've got to map, map it and they do that by feeding a tube up through the one of the arteries in the leg up into the brain and inject dye into the brain. It's like a pretty crazy... And you have to have this procedure awake. You can't have like anesthesia for it and all this sort of stuff. So even the lead up to the surgery was pretty intense. I developed pretty bad anxiety while this was going on. Got put on like Valium and all this sort of stuff, even just leading up to the surgery, which was intense in itself. And then had this 14-hour operation that was obviously pretty gruelling. I was obviously asleep for it, but came out of that operation and went straight into intensive care. So straight into the high dependency unit of the neurology ward in Monash Clayton. Yeah, went in there and that was like pretty crazy experience. You hear these people put that, you know, these stories about people that have near-death experiences and seeing tunnels and flashes of light oh, and, God, and yeah. all these sorts of things. So I had like really quite profound experiences like that. I was in there for about three, four days. But yeah, it was bizarre. Like it was really trippy sort of experience. Came out of there and then started to learn that I was going to have all these like lifelong complications, like being permanently deaf in my right ear, had total facial paralysis from like the neck up to my forehead on the right hand side was totally yeah. paralyzed. And I'd also lost like the, the balance functionality. So no, I've got no balance nerve because they removed the auditory nerve. So that's the balance and the hearing. And mm. yeah, so I had no balance on the right hand side. So I'd have to like learn to walk, walk again and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, while I was trying to come to terms with all of that and just coming out of like this intense experience in, in the, the high dependency unit neurology ward, I um, end up contracting meningitis, mm. like a surgically induced yep. meningitis. Yeah. And that was brutal. Like that was like a really brutal experience as well. Like, you know, pretty close to the, the edge again with that. And then while I was trying to get over the meningitis, I, I copped a case of swine flu and ended up You're in kidding. like, yeah, ended up in like hospital quarantine and, all of this sort of stuff. So I spent like nearly a month in hospital, pretty grim. That was like really quite traumatic experience. And then kind of came out of that and was in a state of shock, like in a real sort of state of shock from the kind of experience I had in, in the ICU. And, 
you know, just being in hospital, like being around all of that sort of stuff, it's not a not a nice thing. Yeah. Anybody that's ever walked into a hospital, it's no. not a nice place to no. be, right? So being in there for a month and the type, type of person, I'm not the sort of person that even wants to be in any one spot. Yeah. Like in yeah. any one time. Like I, I like, I was like living this nomadic lifestyle for a reason, yeah. right? So like this was all I could, I sort of got out of hospital and all I, all I could think about was like getting back to the life that had um, been taken away from me. Okay. Like that's all I could think about because like, yeah. it's all I knew. So I was always just like, oh, I've got to get back to London. I've got to get back to New York. You know, my girlfriend lived in New York and, you know, I had still had, you know, stuff in New York and my place in London and all, you know, I was like, I've got to get, get back to this. But I was so unwell. I didn't, I, I, it wasn't until years later even that I, until I realized how unwell I actually was. Yeah. I was, to throw on top of everything like that, I was already sort of going with, to deal with from the surgery. I still had all of this shit to deal with from my job, like from the reason why I was doing all the drugs yeah. and everything. like that had not been even looked at, you know? So now I've thrown this on top of that, you know? So I'm pretty messed up mm. and got no way to kind of process what I'm going through, end up getting put on a ridiculous amount of pharmaceutical drugs. So I was on the opiates for the pain, I was on Valium for anxiety, I was on antidepressants, like it was all this kind of crazy whirlwind because the reality is the whole reason I was using drugs my whole life was I was self-medicating myself. That's yeah. as simple as, as it was. Yeah. And the realization I had a few months into taking all these pharmaceutical drugs was like, oh, this is just the same stuff. It's, just, it's literally yeah. the yeah. same stuff that I have been taking my whole life. And now I'm taking it every day. It's actually prescribed. Yeah, yeah. and now yeah. I'm taking it every day. I'm taking handfuls of it. Yeah, I don't feel as bad as I probably would without it, but I don't feel that great. I'm like a veg, I'm literally like a vegetable on the couch. You know, I'm recovering from this brain tumor. I'm laid up on the couch. I'm taking handfuls of this crazy medication and I'm laying there and I could see where it was going. And I had this realization, like I have to do something about this, but I didn't really know what. So again, I just defaulted to that, like, okay, let's get busy with life again. Yeah. The moment I could walk again. So the doctors had told me, 12 to 18 months recovery period from like the operation and then through the meningitis and all this. They're yeah, like, yeah. you know, one thing they said, they're, they're like, don't expect to ever be the same again. Like you're, you're never going to be the same again after going through something like this. You're not going to be the same again. So I had that. I was fighting against that as well. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to succumb to those words. So my personality was to go hard, like not to yep. succumb to it and to go hard. So as soon as, yeah. as soon as I could walk again, I walked myself onto a plane. I flew, first place I went to New Zealand, stayed with a mate out there for a little bit. Probably I was way too, too early to be traveling. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have been, but I was. I stayed out in, in his place out in New Zealand in Queenstown for a while. Like I had this big sort of farm out there, stayed there for a bit and then went to um, LA um, to actually speak to people about getting onto medicinal marijuana. Cause I okay. wanted to get off all the, um, you know, all the things for anxiety and all these tablets yeah. for pain and stuff. I'm like, this is your time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like it was, it was when this was all, we, we knew about it. Like we knew that it was a thing, but obviously Australia's still yeah. even backwards with yeah. it now. This was like 2014, early 2014 and California had just done the licensed medicinal yeah. marijuana. Okay. So I went over there, got a license, saw a, saw a doctor, got prescribed medical marijuana, started using marijuana for the first time in my life in a constructive way. Yeah. And within two weeks, I was off every other medication. Really? Yeah, wow. off it and just crazy. Like, And then this is kind of, kind of what started leading into this kind of like alternate way of looking at things. I guess that was the catalyst. So after that, 
I went to New York, was back with my girlfriend there, started working again, did a couple of months there and then ended up back in London a few months after that and was back running again as well soon after that, like soon sort of getting back to London, kind of running again. And I ended up doing a marathon six months after my brain surgery. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it was shortly after I got back to London. So it was kind of like once I started smoking the weed, I just started running again. Yeah. Yeah. And six months later, I ran a marathon and it was, it was in the UK. And I was the, the Monday morning after I'd run it on the Sunday, I was sitting back at my, my desk in London where I was working at the bank. And I was kind of like going through this kind of mental checklist in my head, like learn to walk again, yeah. get yeah. off the couch, you know, get back to New York, get back to London, run a marathon. I'm like that was kind of... <laughs> and at the bottom of that list, run a marathon. Yeah, that was, like, kind, of, that was, that was kind of the list, right? That's like incredible. it was like, because I was thinking like, oh, if I've done all that and I'm back running marathons again, I'm kind of back where I was, right? Yeah. And I kind of got back there and done it, it did it way quicker than I should have. Like it was really... I was quite lucky I didn't do any sort of other damage to myself or get myself some other illnesses. Um, Can I ask, in that marathon, could you feel physically different compared to when you were running before the brain tumour? Like, did you yeah, feel I'd already energy depleted? or I felt different because I had already started to make some changes with my health, not drastic ones. I hadn't drunk at this any point of this time. Like I was scared. Yeah. I was kind of scared to like sort of getting yeah. off all these. Cool. Um, so I felt different in the way like my balance felt different. My body was starting to feel different because I'd done things like I'd already given up like eating meat and stuff okay. like this. So I'd made like these early changes with my diet and was kind of doing things to, to get myself healthy. So I felt mm. pretty good all things considered, yeah. right? I can't remember what time I ran the marathon in. It's, I, don't, I don't remember what time I ran it in. Yeah, I was kind of, yeah, I did feel different. I, yeah. I was noticing the benefits of like these health changes and I guess not having this bloody massive tumor, yeah. tumor in my head helped. Yeah, and I was, I guess I was like on one level kind of starting to get healthy at this point. Yeah. On the other hand though, I still had this kind of lingering and this was like the big realization I had this Monday morning sitting there. I still had this like, this, this feeling of like not knowing, like in, this is the thing that I dealt with my whole life from childhood, this kind of feeling of like, I just don't know. I don't really know how to articulate it even like, but just this feeling of like, something's not right. And I don't have the answer for it. And I don't know what life's about. And I don't know what I'm actually doing here. Like I've ticked all these boxes now. I've done all these mm. things, but why have I done this to end up back in the place that I didn't ne necessarily know that I wanted to be in to begin with? Mm. Like I'm kind of back there, but is this where I want to be? And I didn't have an answer to that. And it's this kind of feeling of something's not right. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I kind of had this feeling of like, well, I give up in a way or I need help. And I didn't articulate that like mentally. It was more of like a feeling within. And yeah. whatever way you want to look at it, it's like asking life or asking the universe or however you want to phrase it for help and sort of saying like, I don't know, right? And that's where things got crazy. Once I had that kind of like acceptance within myself or realization within myself that I didn't know and I've been putting on this kind of facade for so long and I was tired of it, my life changed like crazy within like a week. Like it, that quickly. it was insane because, all right, so again, I need to like, it's such a long story, go, but go, I, go, I need to like, I'll sort of compress it again. But a week later, I'm in the gym I was always into doing gym work and stuff like that. Yeah, I was in the gym, but I'd sort of just been starting to get back into it with the running and trying to just do strength work again. This guy comes up to me in the gym and 
for anybody who's ever been in a gym before, you know the personal trainers, how yeah. they'll come up. Oh yeah, first yeah. first session's free, but then I'm going to charge you 100, yeah. 100 bucks a week sort of thing. <laughs> and he's trying to give me this pitch and I'm just like, dude, I'm not interested. Like, you know, trying to fob him off, like don't want to hear about it. He kept like probing me and like sort of going deeper. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to this guy. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just tell him about what I'm going through. And usually people will like, you know, want, yeah. not want to deal with that, you know? So I start telling him about the brain tumor and all this sort of stuff thinking like, oh yeah, he's not going to want to deal with that. And um, he goes, oh, well actually he goes, I, I run this other thing like outside of the gym, this like other type of therapy known as energy healing. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. You know, thinking I come from quite a scientific background working in IT, but I used to work a lot with fiber, fiber yeah. optics. So I know a lot about like quantum mechanics and physics and mm. stuff like that. So, you know, I have a very like, you know, that sort of view on energy and yeah, that, that sure. sort of stuff. So I'm, you know, energy healing. I'm like, never even heard that term before. And he starts explaining for he's just going over my head, but something within me was, was like, you need to investigate this. Like, don't like part of me was like run and, a million miles away from this yeah, like yeah. the skeptical part of my brain was like this guy's out of his mind i've got to get out of here but then there was this part of me is like no that's what you would normally do you'd normally run away from this like you got to go and check this out so i, I was, relate to that yeah, yeah, yeah so so i ended up saying like okay I'll, I'll do it and then the next week i went into his clinic and it was just this small like little clinic in this little side street in london you know like walk past this place like a thousand times before but never noticed that it was there so go into this like little clinic it's like a juice bar in there people drinking like turmeric lattes and <laughs> yeah. stuff like this and i'm like this is not my world there was like a little yoga studio there and people doing yoga and like i'm not this isn't again not my world right so i walk in go find his little office and we go in there and he's again he's talking to me about like energy and he's like talking about divinity and divine energy and just all this stuff that I never really heard about before. And if anybody's like heard of things like Reiki and stuff like this, it's all the same sort of stuff, right? But he's just doing a different modality of kind of energy healing, right? And he's telling me about it and I'm just blank face and he's like, okay, just lie down on this table. And I'm the skeptical part of my mind's gone berserk, right? Like, yeah. what am I doing here? This is crazy. What's this? Like, this is weird. And he puts his hand on the back of my head, like right where my sort of brain surgery had been and, it was really just a bizarre situation and I'm laying there quite uncomfortable like you know I want to get out of here and mm. then just about two three minutes into it I start to feel like this this vibration in my head and it kind of washes through my body and down through all through my body and kind of puts me in this really bizarre kind of trance like lucid type dream state yeah and anyway that was a insane experience kind of in this world that I'd never really been in before bizarre and the whole time I felt like part of me was being pulled this way and part of me was kind of being pulled this way it's kind of what the session felt like and in terms of what that did for me energetically or in terms of having experience I kind of got this sense of like oh my whole life that's how I've been yeah drawn in two directions these highs and lows these and I just came out of that with that kind of realization and I came out of it and he brought me out of this kind of experience and then what was a I think it was a 90 minute session felt like five minutes five ten minutes sort of thing so I I come out of it and I feel incredible like I feel quite energized I feel quite open quite free and I sit up and I'm like what the hell was that like and he's just sort of sitting there still breathing and doing all this stuff and he's just sort of opens his eyes got this big smile on his face and and he's like divine energy brother and sort of goes and I'm just like no no I need like stats (laughs) stats where's the evidence Yeah, yeah figures like how does this work like what did you just do to me and he's like, divinity, brother, like, yeah. like this. And I'm like, oh, man, nah, too much. Like, 
And then he, he said something to me that was quite profound just as I was like leaving. And it's such a simple thing, but nobody had ever said it to me in my like 30 years of life. And I was just about to like leave and go back to the office. He knew that and he goes, you know, just as you, as you go back, he goes, don't just like go back and rush into your day. He goes, just be quite mindful of your thoughts. And this kind of like switch went off in my brain and I was like, be mindful of my thoughts. I'm like, nobody's ever, ever said that to me before. Like it never been said to me before. And I was like, that's interesting. Okay. So I sort of left with this kind of different view of myself. Like it's more like I was watching, yeah. like not just being in this monotonous, like story playing in my mind. I was kind of like sitting back, like looking at that. Watching yeah. your mind. Yeah. yeah. It's such a revelation, man. Like it's, 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 and this is to me is like, that was literally my, my induction into meditation effectively, yeah. but that's, which is effectively what meditation is. Yeah. But not knowing. And I sort of got back to the office and was, you know, quite aware of what he'd said. And I sat down at my desk, went to type my password in on my computer and I literally couldn't do it. I literally really? couldn't bring myself to put my hands on my keyboard and type in and do it. And I was, because of what he'd said, and I was like, okay. So I sat back in my chair and I looked around the office and I just watched and I just observed and I looked at everything so differently. And I was like, I just, yeah, I, I've never really looked at things this way. Like, cause I'm always in it. I'm yeah, always yeah. just in it. I'm busy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from one thing to the next. I'm, I'm working on this project and then I'm going out to the pub and then I'm going off to New York. Like I never just sat back and just watched. Never completely conscious. Yeah, 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 never, never yeah, just, just sat back and, 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 and watched. And it was, I sort of sat there and I was like, yeah, I'm, I, I can't be here right now. And I just got up and I left. Really? And, yeah, and, and this is like, again, I have to compress the story again <laughs> yeah. because this is where, like, this is where the story could go on a heap of different tangents. But from that moment, I had this, like, the next, like, two, three months of my life was just insane. Like, I was just in this weird sort of state, just watching my mind. I switched my behavior from, like, you know, studying you know, physics and science, like I was talking about before, to like I started just getting into like, start wanting to study energy healing. And that led to things like uh, Buddhism and yeah. like that kind of sent me down this weird path I'd never been down before. And, and something that kept coming at me in that period of time was, was yoga. Okay. Just sort of kept coming into my frame yeah. of reference when I was like kind of researching this stuff. You know, I'm like sort of going to work, but not really. And sort of going into the office and and just walking around London, sitting in parks and looking at trees and having really crazy experiences like this. And could you switch it on and off? That kind no, of I was really in this deep state, like weird kind of state of observation with myself, like for a, a really long period of time. And all, all these crazy things was kind of happening with it. It was like an awesome experience though. Yeah. And then as I was like doing all this research around like the yoga and meditation and stuff like that, I came across like a retreat, like the, the concept of going on like a yoga retreat. Okay. Again, nothing I'd ever even sort of thought of before in my life. And I kind of had, again, I've been, because I've been going through all these changes, I, I thought, oh yeah, that sounds like something I definitely need to do. You know, I've, I've lived this life that where I've never really had a, had a break. Yeah, like a couple of weeks later, you know, this is all in like a two, three month period. Again, it's really hard to gauge the time. Like that's mm. how bizarre this kind of was for me. Yeah. But yeah, I end up on this island in, in Greece. Wow. And even that was bizarre in itself because it was a private island and it was the first kind of season that they'd done of running yoga retreats. And we were to go as the last week. And it was just me, one other girl, the, the woman teaching yoga, yep. and then the, the people running the island. So it was like this oh, really wow. small group of people on this private island in, in Greece. Beautiful, like yeah. absolutely stunning. Sounds incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. And I go there and I go to sit you know, and I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Like, I don't know what this is all about. Are you a bit fearful like, before something like that? Um, 
at the time I wouldn't so much say fearful because my life had been so bizarre in this period like all <laughs> yeah. this weird yeah. stuff was happening to me it had been such a bizarre kind of like chain of events like I was kind of very open to yeah. I was more open. like I was just living like you can get stuck in this rut right you can be on your trajectory in life and you can live this very linear trajectory of life right unless you have something that happens to kind of shift your path a little yeah. bit and that's what the brain tumor had sort of done for me so I was very open to like kind of having these experiences yeah. and seeing how like, I was kind of seeing how loose I could kind of get with it in a yeah, way. Yeah. And I was getting pretty out there with the kind of things that were happening. You're spot on. It's not until someone goes through something that's going to actually change their Yeah, path. because yeah, yeah. it just shifts your way of thinking. Yeah. And it opens you up to different possibilities and stuff like that. So I was on that kind of trajectory. I was on these different kind of trajectories now. And anyway, we sit down for the first time to do this yoga. And I, my idea was that like, oh, I'm just going to be sitting on this island, chilling, stretching. Like this is yeah. my, con- my, <laughs> yeah. co- my concept of it, right? Yeah. And then the first time we sit down to do the yoga, the woman facilitating, she's like, oh yeah, so what's your experience? Because it was only me and one other girl and she was actually a teacher as well. The, okay. other, the other girl that was this uh, Swedish yoga teacher. So the, the woman running the, the classes, she's asking me, what's my experience with kundalini yoga and my response back is what's kundalini yoga yeah and for anybody (laughs) so for anybody who even knows about yoga like a lot of people haven't even heard about kundalini yoga so that was my response i was like what's kundalini yoga and both of them just laughed they just like laughed and they're like oh you're obviously ready for it and i was like i have no idea what that means (laughs) but anyway so we start the class off and it's really it's like quite a full-on practice you do a lot of chanting and yeah a lot of breath work and it's not the idea of just getting into a posture and holding it or this flow movement or anything if you know this general contemporary ideals of yoga it's nothing it's like it's pretty out there and my first reaction to it was the chanting and i was like this is not for me like And I'm like looking back at the mainland, trying to figure out how far it is to swim. Thinking, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sitting here for a week doing this shit. Like yeah, that was yeah, my yeah. initial reaction to it. I was like, this is too out there. It's not for me. And also, I was, I'm, you know, a runner and not flexible. Like, you know, a lot of this done sitting down with the legs crossed. I can't even sit there. I'm yeah. a real fidgety sort of, yeah. you know, high energy person. Like it's very hard for me to sit down, close my eyes, turn everything inward. So it's like torture for me yeah i'm sitting there and i'm like oh, i don't want to do this anyway again compressing the story the week went on but it was it was it was incredible like by like the second or third day i was like oh, i can feel what this is doing like this is making yeah. me feel great like you know it's opening me up and it's like physically but it's also giving me more of this insight that i've kind of been going through like mm. from the energy healing stuff learning more about myself learning not to be you know, just wrapped up in my mind, learning to understand myself better, understand my emotions, understand like all these aspects of myself that I'd never explored before. And I could see that this was like just in a couple of days that it was accentuating that. It was How like, long do these sessions go for? Each so week? we did two a day. We did one, like two hours in the morning and two hours okay. at night. And it would be all sorts of different kind yeah. of, they're called Kriyas. They're like very specific sequences of like breath pattern, movement, hand gestures, like even the way you're moving your positioning your eyes it's oh, very really? yeah. it's very systematic and it's designed to give a very predictable outcome in what it does within the energy systems within the body it's a very scientific actual form of yoga yeah. anyway I, i'm feeling what these things are doing for me but the the way that we're doing it it's bizarre you know like some things you're slapping yourself and really yeah. it's, it's out there stuff man yeah, it's yeah. like really out there and anyway i guess like day four or five and it's coming to an end. We were there for a week. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of having these conversations with myself, like, because this is what the yoga sort of triggers. And I'm having these conversations like, oh, this is really beneficial. 
I need to, you know, like make the most of my time here and get the most out of this that I can. So I'd sort of committed myself to like the, the last few sessions that we were going to have to really go for it and to see what I could learn and push myself sort of thing. Yeah. Again, my, that's my mentality sort of taken over now. And we sit down to do this Kriya. So we do this yoga class thing where we're sitting down, you know, I've got a few experiences with it now, so it's not so foreign to me, so I'm more open to it. And we're sitting down and we're doing, we're going through the Kriya and we're, we're doing this like really crazy breathing pattern with this like weird hand movement where we're like touching our hand on the ground and then breathing in three segments and then like hitting our hand and blowing out yeah. and then like going yeah. like this, yeah. like this is what we're doing and all these crazy breathing patterns and stuff and what's happening like while I'm doing it, like my initial reaction to it was like, I felt like I was hyperventilating, like, cause we're breathing so heavy and kind of getting a bit lightheaded. So my mind's kind of like, oh yeah, if you keep doing this, you're going to like pass out. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but so what? Like, just go for it. Like that was kind of, and as soon as I had that kind of shift in like going from that sort of fearful way of thinking of like, oh, this is, you know, not normal. It's worrying me like to being like, oh, well, don't worry about it. It was really weird. It's kind of like I went above myself yeah. and got into this really kind of clear headspace. Like I've never been in anything like this before. And I can only liken to what I'm about to talk about now to having drug experiences because the only way I've ever had these kind of sensations or these kind of feelings within myself was through drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So I start having like this kind of feeling like I'm coming up on a pill. Is or, it almost like that activating the DNT, like that type? Or, yeah, like, yeah. well, you, well, that's all drugs do, right? Yeah. They just activ activate systems that are in the body that yeah. make us feel good, right? Yeah. They just do it at a really high dose. But this is what this is doing. It's releasing endorphins. It's, it's doing all of these kind of things. And I'm kind of getting in there, you know, eyes closed. And, but I, it, was, it was better. It was better than what drugs and alcohol can do and I start as soon as I kind of got into this state of feeling this kind of euphoric yeah. waves coming on all throughout my body I was like I want more of this because yeah. you know again my addictive personality went over so I'm then just like breathing like crazy <laughs> and it just keeps really higher and higher and higher and higher it got to this point I, again I can only liken it to drugs it was like taking the best ecstasy tablet or you know best acid trip or whatever infused together and it's like the whole body's lighting up with this yeah and I reached this pinnacle that was so intense. It was like a crescendo and it like sh felt like it like exploded through the crown of my head and just like sent, I, it was so, it was so intense. I couldn't actually contain like the energy in my body. And I actually, what brought me out of that was like, I collapsed out of it. Like, cause my body was just like in this crazy state yeah. of bliss. It was incredible. But it was also like in that moment when that kind of happened, it was like all of this, I don't know, like system switched on in my body. And I had this really profound realization of why I'd kind of taken drugs all my life. And yeah. Again, I, I can't articulate it because it was more of just a knowing. It's not like something that, it's not like a thought that came to me. It was like a deep knowing of like why I use drugs and kind of what I was chasing with that. In the snap of a finger, it was like there. It was just, I knew, I understood. And I also knew in that moment that I would never use drugs again in, in, in the right. terms of like synthetic drugs. Like, yeah, yeah. like I just knew that because like things like cocaine and ecstasy and that, they were never even gonna come close to that experience. Yeah. So I knew I, I wouldn't need them anymore. And I had this like kind of realization, even though I hadn't really touched anything like that way since the brain tumor, besides the pharmaceutical stuff, I just kind of knew that I was kind of free of it in a way. Wow. With the, uh, you mentioned you had a bit of anxiety. So how does this yoga and even meditation in a sense 
how does that now improve that part of your health? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what led to like the, I guess the next part of the story was exactly that. Like that, starting to have those realizations that started to lead to me being able to finally do the inner work on myself that I'd never yeah. been able to do before. So uh, what happened after that was I went back to London, like completely changed, kind of like got a lot of the answers that I'd been kind of looking for, yeah. if that makes sense. Remember if I was talking about that Monday morning at that at my desk kind of like wanting to have these answers it was like not that I had all of them but now I kind of had the tools to yeah. kind of delve into them a bit more so I got back to London and I was very different and I couldn't I couldn't go back to work like I was just like this is not for me uh, this is not what I need to be doing with my life right now uh, I went back and I quit my job and wow. that was that was crazy because that was a career I'd been building for like 10 years yeah to just like go back and walk away from it um, without having any other plan because I'm a very like strategic like planning person like I always have to know what I'm doing and yeah. thinking structured. like that structured yeah. person having to, yeah that's how I live my life so to sort of just go oh, I'm going to quit my job and not know what I'm do- that, that in itself was crazy but I knew that it was the right thing at the time yeah this is now getting into like the kind of the next part of the story which is the, the running side of the story again but now I've got all this free time on my hand start practicing the yoga every yeah. morning so I never went back to classes after that Oh, okay. I just went and bought a yoga mat and started doing stuff that I just remembered from the island. So I'd, what I'd do is I'd wake up in the morning. I live with two other dudes and I'd wait for them to go to work. And I'd like, actually like look out the window, make sure they're walking <laughs> down the street. I'm like, oh, they're gone. I'd, I'd, I'd roll my yoga mat out on the floor. I'd sit there. I'd do all the stuff. I'd do what I could remember. And then I'd just go for a run. And that's kind of like, oh, that's kind of what I did for a while. And then the rest of the time I just smoke weed. Because yeah. I was still I was still using weed at that point in time. Again, medicinal, like the medicinal yeah. side of things. So I just like do that, smoke a joint, chill out, and just like kind of live like a relaxed life, yeah. which I'd never done before. I guess that was like the the start of my healing, really, because I was like you know had these tools of yoga and meditation, had these ways of like winding down and like finally giving my body mm. a chance to rest. I'm starting to do all these things with diet plant-based eating and all of this sort of stuff so i'm getting really healthy like i'm starting to become probably the healthiest i've ever been in my life and it happened really quickly like i went from you know like still this is only like eight months after being pushed out of hospital in a wheelchair it's like eight months we're only like eight months nine months after that i sorry to interrupt but that that really empowers me because we can become the healthiest version of ourselves very fast if we really wanted to yeah and there's some tools that can help speed that up massively but it takes a lot of work right it takes a lot of work and takes a lot of discipline yeah the powerful thing is like i would have thought when the doctors tell you all this stuff when you've just come out of surgery like how did you not slip into depression yeah being told you'll never do you'll never have your life back and you'll never be able to do this and do that like yeah and i was already i was already dealing with depression and stuff anyway (laughs) you know what i mean like so which you know it's really common thing but this is where the story sort of takes another turn. So now I've got all this free time. And when you've got free time and you're, you, you know, you're being more observant about what's ha- happening internally, you just approach things differently because you're not caught up in it, right? You're not just caught up in trying to service what you know, right? Like yeah. the constant like, thought loops and that's like what makes you th- think you're busy. You know what I mean? Or make, yeah. makes you think you don't have time to do other things because you're just too like, sort of stuck in that lane. Yeah. We pretend to be busy a lot. Yeah, or, or we just think that we're yeah. busy. It's not even a pretending thing. We actually just do. We actually yeah. think we are busier than we actually are. Yeah. Right? When there's, there's point, that, yeah. that kind of holds us back, right? And but what being sort of free of that 
opened up for me anyway was just being more like sort of aware of other opportunities that were out there and I came across one which was really awesome and it was to there's a big part of the story that I actually missed like when I was doing all that running before I got sick one of the things with all the travel and running that I'd done was run a marathon on each continent yeah but I did that over like you know a few years sort of like you know I'd run in Asia somewhere like the Great Wall of China or yeah I'd done a run in Antarctica and, you know, done a few runs in, in, this, in the US, in the mountains and all of this sort of stuff. So I'd actually run on every continent. I'd actually done wow. that before, like I even got sick. So I was kind of in that world, like I knew people in that yeah. world. And now I'm like kind of got all this time on my hand. I'm feeling pretty healthy again. And I got an opportunity to come my way to go and do that seven marathons again, but this time to do it as a race but and to try and do it in under seven days so to, to do seven marathons on seven continents in, in under in under seven days so probably normally i'd say like back before my brain tumor even though that would have been appealing to me i probably would have talked myself out of it yeah because i would have been like oh, i don't have the time to train i don't you know you know i'm not going to be able to do it it's too expensive like all these sort of things and i was just like you only live once this is yep. a great opportunity i'm going all in on this like it was a very different mindset that i had towards yeah. it and from the time I found out about it to when I had had to do it, I only had like three or four months to, you know, and I've only just started sort of properly running again. I'd done the marathon, like I'd been back running yeah. marathons and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it was pretty like, oh yeah, you've got three to four months to train for this thing. You're still like within that 12 to 18 month period of the brain tumor when you're going to be doing this run. Like this is my way to know that I'm not going to be a victim to those words. Yeah, That's kind of like the way I was like, this is it. This is the thing. This is what I'm going to sort of hang my hat on. Like this is what I'm going to go for. So yeah, so I did it. And I just, again, my life was amazing at this point in time. It was like, all I did was just yoga, eat well, train smoke a little bit of weed it was, yeah. it was a really great existence and i did a lot of travel while i was doing this because again i was kind of like free of work and i had a i had a fair bit of money behind me from the banking like being in the yeah, investment banking sure. industry i had so i was financially secure at this point in time and yeah i just traveled around the world was running all these marathon events like leading up to it when did one in the states like five marathons in five days and all of these sorts of things like on five different u.s states and got myself really prepared for it so much so that when I got down to the start line in Antarctica for the seven marathons on seven, con seven days, like That's we great. started in Antarctica. It was like three days just to get down there, three days of travel just to get to the start line. Yeah. So you get to the start line, you're already pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, you crack out a marathon, you jump on a plane, fly back to Chile, southern tip of South America, yeah. uh, Punta Arenas in Chile, fly back there, get off the plane, run another marathon. Uh, yeah. Rinse, Can you talk rinse, us through the logistics repeat. of this thing? Yeah, so it's 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 the, the logistics is probably like the more hardcore thing of it yeah. in my sense. Like a lot of people can run seven marathons in seven days. It's not a really uncommon yeah. thing. Like mm. it isn't that crazy, like if you know how to pace it and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's not it's not that absurd. <laughs> but the that's so easy. But the but <laughs> yeah. no, it is if you condition yourself, it's yeah. it's not so absurd. It's yeah. um but you can't run seven flat out marathons in seven yeah. days. Yeah. You just yeah, can't, true. right? But if you learn how to sort of control your pace. But logistic wise it's it's pretty crazy because it all hinges on the the, the weather in Antarctica is like a, yeah. a big a big part of it. So you've got like a forty hour window where you can kind of have to leave Antarctica and if the weather sort of screws up there it can actually yeah, it can actually jeopardize the whole thing because yeah you've got a little buffer in Antarctica and that's it for about a 40 hour window in Antarctica so we we were good we were lucky like we we got the weather right and or the, the weather was kind to us and uh, we started on time and 
Yeah, so logistically, yeah, the flight, there's a flight out of Antarctica, you actually fly off a blue ice runway. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, in the interior, about 600 k's from the South Pole. Fly out in a big Aleutian jet, it's a big Russian yeah. uh, jet that they used to use for like refueling in the wars. So yeah, you fly out on that. From there, logistically, it is just actually, you got about eight hours to do the marathon. Like I think that was the, 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 the time period that Every, everybody had yeah and then you've got to be within that time period because it is pretty much on the limit with every flight and by the time we got back to sydney like yeah we only had like i think 11 hours or something up our sleeves so it's pretty on the limit wow yeah <laughs> it, it, it is that is it is one of those things if something does go wrong along the way yeah it's 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 quite on the limit so they they still we were the first ones to do this event it's called the world marathon challenge yeah so we were the first ones to do it and there was like 15 of us doing it or something like that but they've evolved that event now and they actually hire their own planes i was gonna ask yeah so so can you talk us through so it's you started antarctica and then yeah. did you say so sydney's the second no no chile. so chile. yeah chile. so chile uh punta arenas in the southern tip of chile is next and then you fly up to miami okay and yeah just do one on the miami foreshore there which is beautiful so yeah. you're going from like it seems some pretty scenic sites <laughs> yeah you're going from um like minus 20 in antarctica yeah up to like plus 30 by the time you're yeah. up in miami and then from miami we flew over to madrid yep the european leg back to zero in yep. madrid because it's winter and then from madrid it's a short flight over to marrakesh mm-hmm. for the african leg and then from marrakesh flying into dubai for the asian leg and then the last flight home we got to finish in sydney which was pretty sweet wow. and pretty i was special. i was the only person running under the aussie flag so that was pretty cool that to kind of nice. kind of come back and be the first one to do it and to put it all into perspective of how all of these things that i've been kind of you know we've been talking about like the diet the yoga and meditation the you know learning to look after yourself learning to you know have better dialogue with yourself better self-understanding this stuff all came together quite nicely at the end of that run for me like i got there i felt still pretty fresh like when every everybody else was kind of caving a bit and tired and yeah on their literally on their last legs i was like no i feel good like i actually feel feel really good kind of ran the first half of the last marathon out with one other dude and we'd sort of been neck and neck and at each other a bit the whole event it was yeah. pretty it was yeah, let's pretty... not forget this is still a race yeah yeah yeah, yeah it is yeah. like and it'd been it'd been a bit we, we'd actually got a bit heated with each other at one really? point yeah, yeah it's pretty it's pretty intense actually uh, it was really just me and him like because we were sort of pushing for that kind of you know that lead position yeah, yeah. a bit but what ended up happening was like i, I knew that by the the last leg that i wasn't going to claw the he had about 30 minutes overall on me so i knew i wasn't going to claw that back on the last leg but I, I there was still that opportunity to be still the first one over the line like oh, okay, so yeah. so so the, they were the, the the race was one on cumulative time sure. yeah um but like still to be the first one over the line yeah sorry no the race was run on like the average time oh, like okay. for seven races and like like yeah the adding of it together and then but there was still that opportunity to be like the first one yeah. across the line so i ended up being first across the line in, in sydney not only did i run like well like it was one of my best marathons actually like i was only two minutes off my pb wow so i ended up uh, running after six after six yeah, yeah yeah so i ended up being like my, my pb at the time was three hours 15 and i ended up running a 317 on incredible on day seven and, and did you have like friends and family at sydney waiting for you yeah so yeah. my mum and my brother and sister um came up 
So that was that was cool. That definitely gave gave me a boost, and I had a couple of mates there as well um, who ran a little bit of it with me, and um, yeah, that definitely helped. But yeah, got got to go across the line first, and end up getting a Guinness World Record out of that because because first across the line. So that ended up being like a pretty pretty cool thing to get, Absolutely. like, and quite quite life changing in the sense of like it's a really good achievement to have, and there's a lot you can kind of do with that. That night when I was kind of finished, that I felt great. Like I felt I felt amazing, and I kind of had this realization. I I like, you know, step back and I was like, oh, wow, look, look at what I was able to achieve when, you know, when you're doing all this stuff that's, that's good for yourself, you know, like you're taking care of your diet, you mm. you know, you're, you're just looking after your health basically and look, you know, look what's achievable. That's, and that's when I started to say like, this is what I've been able to do in like six months of like, well, 12 months, just over 12 months after being pushed out of hospital in a wheelchair, look what I've been able to achieve. Where can I go from here with that, like these skills of yoga, meditation, yeah. diet, like how far? can I actually take this? It turns out I could take it pretty far. Yeah. Like I, I, I ended up like from that point for the next few years, I just lived, at, like, I actually lived like a yogi. Like I started getting up at like four o'clock in the morning. Are um, you back in Australia Yeah, now? so after all of this, I moved, I finally like sort of moved back home permanently. Like up until this point, I'd literally like been a nomad for like o- over 10 years, kind of literally living out of a suitcase, moving around the world. Like even when I was living in London and New York, I was always traveling between the two. Yeah. I didn't own much stuff. I could pack everything into an 80 liter suitcase. Yeah, that's, that's my dream. And, yeah. and, and move and move yeah. and still hold down a job. And, you know, yeah. that, that, that living this, this cool lifestyle. Yeah, but I finally come home and settle and I go into this really deep phase of, of yoga. Yeah, like, and, when, and when I talk about yoga, I don't mean like going to classes. I sort of, you know, I was saying before, I never sort of went to classes or did anything like that. I never had like this idea of becoming a teacher or doing anything like that. I was like, I just want to know about this stuff and see what I can yeah. do. See, what can I do with this? Curiosity, yeah. yeah. So I start like, look what I can do when I'm doing like half an hour a day. So I start doing like three to four hours every morning, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, taking a cold shower, practicing like religiously. I went like 1500 days without missing a day. How good's that? Yeah. 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 And like, and up some days up to 10 hours a day. So, yeah, so again, my addictive sort of extreme personality took over, which again, is probably not the healthiest. Like there's, there's sort of, there's great things of it, but there's some, I probably did some things wrong that I've learned now. I probably, a bit technical, I'd have to get into the sort of science behind Kundalini yoga and what it can do and all of that sort of stuff. But you you live and learn. I didn't have a guide. Like I didn't have a teacher, like sort of teaching me what to do. I was just kind of out on my own. This is what I'm saying, not going to classes and just yeah. kind of reading books and applying the, the science to myself. But what that ended up doing to me, I ended up becoming like a pretty decent runner. I, you know, I, I applied myself to literally yoga and running and writing a book. That's kind of like what I did yeah. for about three years and ended up, yeah, becoming like a pretty decent runner. I was got my marathon time down to like 240, uh, half marathon time down to like 113. So pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> Very quick. Yeah, and started winning a few races of like some of the extreme marathon events in the world. I like went back to the Great Wall of China, which is where I ran my first marathon, went back literally 10 years later and won it. So I went from being like, you know, smoking ciggies before the race and <laughs> thinking I'm going to die 30 Ks into it on my first marathon to going back 10 years later and winning the race. So yeah, I did all of that sort of stuff, did some crazy races in places like Mongolia and ran it. I ended up getting back to the North Pole and doing the run up there and yeah, did some really amazing things with running. And at the same time, like another trajectory that my life kind of took, which is, I guess, like kind of like getting to more where we are now. I never thought I was going to teach or like share yeah. like what I'd learned with the yoga because I've always been a really socially anxious person. 
Like I've always been quite like reserved person. And that's again why I was taking drugs all of my life because when I took drugs, I could kind of overcome that. Yeah. And I could like, it could be life of the party. Yeah, when confidence. I, yeah, 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 I could do it. But I, you know, deep down my default thing is I'm actually quite shy, reserved person. And like to the point that public speaking used to be my greatest fear. It actually used mm. to scare the hell out of me. I didn't like getting up in a room and introducing myself. Yeah. Like even if, if I was in a room, of people I knew, like I would get all nervous. I'd shake, I'd sweat. I was, I was really, really quite nervous with that kind of stuff. So I never thought I was going to be a teacher. I was out in Mongolia. <laughs> it was actually where I taught my first yoga class. I was out there doing a run and um, we were traveling through like the wilderness, like the outback of Mongolia in the middle of winter. It's like minus 50 degrees. We're traveling around. There was a few girls in, in, that were on this like adventure with us and they all practice yoga and they're constantly talking about yoga and and it's, oh, how much it helps my running and I'm sort of sitting there in the background and I'm like oh yeah I'll try and impress the girls yeah, like, heaven, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm like oh by the way I just like you know got trained in, in yoga and I'm a certified teacher and they're like oh you'll have to run a class and I was like oh shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like no fuck and ended up teaching a class to them and it was they gave me really good feedback they were like oh that was great like you know all of this sort of stuff and I was like oh that's cool like you know yeah. you can change the way people feel and I was like ah oh. There's something to that. And so much so they talked like the other guys that were on like this expedition with this. They're like, oh, you got to do yoga with Doug. Let's do yeah. it. So we ended up doing it. Like everybody got involved and everybody loved it. And yeah, it kind of just came back from that trip thinking like, oh, maybe I should do that. You know, like maybe there's a lot of benefit in, you know, teaching yeah. what I know and, and sharing that with people. And I, I ended up doing it and ended up sort of really enjoying it and kind of seeing the value in it and then spent like the next five years of my life teaching yoga meditation, end up getting into um, working with people in drug rehabilitation. So people coming off crystal meth, teaching classes with that. And, you know, the power of sharing that story with those people and seeing, you know, that there is sometimes hope from, yeah. like there is, you know, that sense of hope that can be found because that's like one of the things that leads people, like it's that sense of hopelessness, right? Like if you've got that sense of hopelessness, what, drive do you have to get away from the things that are kind exactly. of making you feel that way yeah. right like it's a vicious cycle and yeah and that's what i really saw through that that there is like a lot of benefit in that stuff and that's why i ended up like writing my book and that's kind of what the essence of the book is, is around is, is is around that side of things is that without hope there's you know there's not a lot else there so yeah which kind of like brings me to to more where we are now yeah um, I'd, I'd love to actually have you on again just to talk about some of these other experiences in your life because it just seems like there's so much but just as we sort of get towards the end of this for the book can you talk a little bit more about even just how to get a copy of it I think we're going to have a lot of people interested after hearing um, this yeah at the moment it's I just self-published it myself so I've just got like a few hundred copies sitting in my garage and you can just order it through my own website which is kundaliniRunning.com, which is the name of the book. Yep. So you're just fusing those two things, the kundalini and the running, yeah, make, makes sense. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, so just yeah, just um, get it on online. Or, or there's, there's digital copies as well on Amazon and iTunes, iBooks and all that sort of yep. stuff. So perfect. yeah, but I think it's all linked from my website. Awesome. Yeah. What about you? Are you on social media or anything like that? Or Kind of... Yeah, I am. I've got like Instagram and Twitter. I don't, I'm not very active on it at, at the moment because, yeah. um, you know, all the things like uh, recently I sort of stepped away from that world to go like when sure. all the pandemic stuff kicked off and social media was the last it's, place I wanted to be when that shit, that shit was going down. Yeah. I, I was like... I took a six-month break off it. Too. I, I was like, get me away from this. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Like, 
I just couldn't. So I, and I haven't really gone back to it. And I'm, I'm not that keen to, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And with the teaching and all that sort of stuff through the pandemic, kind of stepped away because I didn't want to do it online. I don't think it's like the right sort of thing to be teaching online. I think it's something that needs to be done in person. Sure. So I never wanted to go down that side. So I went back to, back to working, but I'm teaching one class a week at the moment up in Paran okay. on a Wednesday night. But yeah, just that's the only teaching I'm doing at the moment. I'll probably get back into it a bit more in the world does like when we're when we're properly back to normal it's a bit hard to sort of come in and out of it it takes a lot to kind of yeah be in that world like teaching's pretty full on i i take it quite seriously so i i put a lot of pressure on myself with the teaching and stuff like that so one class at the moment's probably all i can handle with working but yeah if anybody ever wants to come up and check kundalini yoga out usually what happens if anybody reads the book the next reaction is like i've got to go try that kundalini yoga like it sounds pretty full on so um, and it's really appealing to people that have like more on that extreme kind of edge of life and yeah. want something like a bit more challenging, sure, a bit yeah. different like that. And yeah. I just want to finish one more question more for for yourself. You've gone through an experience that's transitioned you or transcended you into this new world. For someone like us, we don't. Ha- I don't think any of us should have to go through an experience. Hundred percent. And what is some advice for just everyday Joes like us out there? to start opening their eyes to things that they might feel a bit uncomfortable or it's a bit away from their norm. You yeah. Know? Because it sounds like we need to do more and, and, and learn more about things we don't necessarily know a lot about. Yeah, so that, that self-exploration type stuff, that's a lifelong practice, right? You, can't, you can never learn enough. There's no limit to what you can learn about yourself. So I'm not one of those people that like want to drop cliches and stuff like that. I just think in terms of like a, a good place to start is like developing consistency and, and, and any kind of discipline with something like I wouldn't recommend any one practice or anything like that. But whatever you are kind of doing, the best thing to do is to be disciplined and consistent with it, because then you'll see what it does over time. Ten, what we tend to do in the modern world now is pick things up and put them down because there's so many options presented to us nowadays. You know what I mean? Like Again, yeah. if you jump on social media, it's like do this meditation or do this practice or take this diet or do that. And it's very hard to be like. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. That's because we've lost the, because now we're looking for all of that stuff to tell us what to do rather than having the ability to listen to what we need. And there's no, there's no, there's nothing outside of ourselves that can give us that. So I think like one of the, if, and this is what we're talking about when we, we say meditation. Meditation is not this, this magical thing that just makes you a chilled out person and zen and all of this. That's the biggest load of bullshit that we've ever come across with all of this kind of Western world approach to mm. yoga and meditation. It's very wrong. Mm. Like it's very, very off the mark of what it, I shouldn't say wrong. I shouldn't criticize it, but it's very, very off the mark of what it's actually really meant yeah. to be used for. So I'd say like if anybody's looking for more of a self-understanding, like a really good place to start is just like a daily meditation practice. But in the sense, it doesn't need to be anything more than literally just sitting in some quiet space Mm. and just taking a little bit of time to just watch what's happening. And you can just do that as simply as sitting in a chair, hands resting on your lap, shut your eyes and just observe your breath or just observe like the natural state of your body. Like, you know, have a look at like that what's contained in yourself, like your mind and your body, the interactions that they're having with each other. How, like that's all contained in one yeah. space. And that's all you have to do is just sit there and observe that. And as simple as it sounds so simple, but it's very difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. actually a very, very difficult thing to do. And to make that consistent time to do that daily, start with five minutes, but try to be like really consistent with, with how we do it. Because that's where you'll start to see the, like the patterns. 
yeah. and things like that when you're consistent and and then you just see where, where it kind of goes from there what does that lead to you know what i mean and then maybe you come across something else you know mm. like i would see i would never recommend run out and try energy healing and take up kundalini yoga i'd never recommend that because mm. how could i possibly know what somebody else needs yeah you know what yeah, i mean like i couldn't know like everybody's so different right and this is again what we everybody has good intention like you know you go through a life experience and you want to um share what you know and you know go tell everybody that that's the answer or that's the solution right you just got to learn that for yourself and there's tools that you can have to help do that and i think that is just that ability to be able to sit in silence and and spend some time to kind of understand what's happening internally is the most overlooked thing that we we sort of don't have we don't have this in the modern world it's just like this should be a, a part of our day yeah Oh, look, I'm, this has been amazing, this yeah. this whole, and just even that last part, that's just such great advice for everybody. And actually, Doss and I were talking about the podcast and we wanted to interview people that with stories that are outside of our perspective and outside of things that we've sort of experienced before. And, mate, I'm just blown away by this. So I just want to say a big thank you from me. Um, I'm sure Doss will touch yeah, on it Yeah, I, I, I just know everyone listening... Well, this is really up my alley listening to this because, especially with the health stuff, because I'm someone who has health anxiety. I'm constantly worrying about feelings in my body or feelings here and feelings there. And what you're saying with the, even the doctor stuff and going to the doctor and they're saying, no, 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 nothing wrong with you. I just, I'm hearing that and going, that's happening to me all the time. Mm. And it's nice to know that someone else has gone through the same thing, but it's actually come through and they are the right, they are right. But that's just one part that I got out of it the most, but... I just want to acknowledge you, Doug, because, mate, do what you've done physically, but also mentally and emotionally. I'm sure there's lots of people that you're very close with that they can't believe what you've done. And I know yeah. that we're pretty in awe. And, and I just also want to thank Joy and Katie too, again, sure, yeah. because they got another mention. But for us to now connect with you and meet you, I'm very grateful that we've met you. And we've, Absolutely. And we've now been able to share your story with everyone else. And I'm looking forward to, to reading your book yep. You know, and, and going even further and hopefully connecting further in, in the future. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Just thanks again, Doug. Thanks, Absolute Doug. pleasure. Yeah, Cheers.